This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. I wanted to start off today's show by giving a big thank you to all of you that have financially supported Sovereign Nations over this past month. We greatly appreciate your generosity and hope to have some additional news for you soon about our plans for Sovereign Nations and how you can be a part of things. Well, this is episode one of a five-part series on a great reset of energy. We will pop in and out of the five parts of the series over the next couple of weeks as other important issues arise that we must address. Also, please be looking for another The Causes of Things coming up in the next few days. Well, three years ago, the American people as a whole were aghast at the radical, civilization-destroying proposal presented by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and it was the Green New Deal. Now, of course, you understand that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doesn't write these things. She is an actress playing a role, and she's the one that actually is delivering uh, this message from an intersectional position, someone that is easy on the eyes, someone that everybody of all ages, of all different ethnicities, can accept as being authentic when she is anything but. But Democratic New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal was really more about drastically overhauling the American economy than it is about combating climate change. And this is something that her top aide admitted. So Ocasio-Cortez's chief of staff, Saikat Chakrabadi, made the revealing admission in a meeting with Democratic Washington Governor Jay Inslee's climate director in May. Now, remember, Jay Inslee is the one that is still continuing with radical, draconian lockdowns and other things according to COVID. But something that Shakarbardi said during this meeting with Inslee's climate director should bring light to what's actually happening with oil and gas and the climate crisis and all the other things that are being brought to the surface right now during the Biden administration. And this is what he said. Remember, he's the one that authored the Green New Deal. Quote, the interesting thing about the Green New Deal is it wasn't originally a climate thing at all. End quote. And basically what the Green New Deal was in 2019 was the operational preparation of the environment, the introduction to the American people of the insane, economy-ruining, wealth-destroying ideas of the 2030 UN and World Economic Forum in their 17 sustainability goals that will disrupt and dismantle the United States of America. And it will also disrupt and dismantle the United Kingdom and the rest of Western civilization. The 2030 Agenda and the 17 sustainability goals are Marcusean in construct. The agenda calls for a number of hard-left proposals, including getting the U.S. directly and entirely off of fossil fuels within 10 years, providing universal health care, basic income programs. It's part of the whole thing. So Agenda 2030 and the House Democrat Build Back Better plan, which is really inheriting everything from the Green New Deal, 
also calls for social, economic, racial, regional, and gender-based justice and equality, and cooperative and public ownership. Let me go back and read that for you again. The Agenda 2030 and the House Democrat Build Back Better plan, which basically is the Green New Deal in bigger form, also calls for social, economic, racial, regional, and gender-based justice and equity and cooperative and public ownership. It's basically the same plan that the World Economic Forum is trying to introduce to every nation that it can, that's part of what they're doing right now with the World Economic Forum in the UN, to be able to get them in on the exact same scheme for a global citizen and a global nation, a supranational governance. So transitioning to a clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy source within 10 years is just one of the Build Back Better plan's expensive proposals, and it could cost more than $25 trillion. And it could shut down the United States of America. The Build Back Better plan, which is the marketing term for implementing the Agenda 2030 plan, in its entirety could cost up to $93 trillion over a decade. And as they have already admitted, this has absolutely nothing to do with the climate. So what exactly does it have to do with? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit today, but even more so in the next four episodes. So all of the nonsense that you heard from Kamala Harris yesterday, from Pete Buttigieg, from Joe Biden, about accelerating to clean energy and away from gas and oil, wasn't it so convenient that this is all happening just as we're talking about Russia and Ukraine? Well, just like Shakarbardi had said before in his response to the Green New Deal, this has nothing to do with gas and oil and clean energy. It has nothing to do with punishing Russia. Because the nation that they are actually punishing is the United States of America and U.S. citizens and our form and systems of capitalism. And so you are being coerced through a human metasystem transition. And metasystem transitions are events representing the evolutionary emergence of a higher level of organization through the integration of subsystems into a higher metasystem. Now, metasystems are generally understood first through mediums of communication that work of functions of control, like language, writing, speaking, and reading. Maybe you understand now why communication is so important to them. Maybe you understand now why they're changing the meanings of words. Now, this communication in turn affects physical actions or things that require energy that turn into the action guided by mediums of communication, such as agriculture, distribution, industry. You see, all these things need order. They need organization. So in the past, 
where traveling great distances was not what populations engaged in more than once or twice in their lifetimes, we had human organization as tribes in ages past, which led to chiefdoms and kingdoms in our development, basically post-Westphalia. And then, lastly, as our communications became broader and more distributed, mankind evolved into the nation-state concept. So, agrarian and tribal first, then distributive, then industrial. But let's also understand our industrial revolutions, as this great transition is into what is called the fourth industrial revolution, and hence, the Great Reset. So like the first industrial revolution, steam-powered factories, the second industrial revolution's application of science to mass production and manufacturing, and the third industrial revolution's start into digitization, the fourth industrial revolution's technologies such as artificial intelligence, genome editing, augmented reality, robotics, and 3D printing, it will also rapidly change the way humans create, exchange, travel, and distribute economically. As occurred in the previous revolutions, this will profoundly transform all of our institutions, industries, faiths, individuals, but more importantly, this revolution is going to be guided by the choices that we make today. And that is why you have been under mass formation psychosis. The Fourth Industrial Revolution, see, it's heralding a series of social, political, cultural, and economic upheavals that are unfolding here in the 21st century. In other words, this chaos, these crises, this lack of a normal society, this lack of being able to be at peace, they couldn't have that because you can't have a peaceful transition of power. They, of course, tried that in their attempt to get Hillary Clinton in in 2016, and she would have been dutiful in in doing what they had wanted. But Donald Trump won, and Brexit happened. And that's something that they couldn't let happen ever again. But what they did have, and what they have built in, is the widespread availability of digital technologies that are the result of the third industrial or digital revolution. And the fourth industrial revolution is going to be driven largely by the convergence of the digital, biological, and physical innovations. That's what's going to drive it. But here's the thing, and this is why you're seeing the changes that you have today. Everything, everything will be forced to change. All previous systems are obsolete. And I know you've been hearing me say that for four years, but now you get a chance to experience it for real. So for them to be able to achieve what they want to quickly, in other words, as opposed to the evolutionary concept, well, their their thinking is this. Well, we don't want to wait for evolution to happen anymore. And we have the technology to do this. So we're just going to leap into the future right away for the sake of everyone. And it's going to be painful. That leap's going to be painful. It's going to be dangerous. But we have to do this. So their thinking is everything that you have today, the systems that you understand, whether it be economically, whether it be in terms of your communication, whether it be our social contract, which here in the United States is the Constitution. Those systems 
are obsolete. And they must bend the knee of submission. You must bend the knee of submission to the new systems. Hence, to achieve this, all old systems, all I'm, it's like when we talk about biblical words and so forth, the word all is important to understand. All old systems will be declared corrupt, sinful, racist, and old. So when we say all, that means that anything that is based on the systems of today must be done away with so you can't go back. In other words, it's like you're an explorer who has found a new land, but then you burn the ship that got you there. So you can't go back. Basically, they're burning the ships and oil and gasoline and the old system in their mind has to be burned, at least for us. When I say for us, most of my audience, of course, is in the United States, the United Kingdom, and as well, many listeners in Europe and some in Australia. So for us, that system ends. But that system's about ready to begin. Our old system that got us to where we were, it's about to begin in earnest in other parts of the world. Why? Well, we'll talk about that as well. But really, the fourth industrial revolution is more distinguishable from the third because the eventual goal is that this is where humans meet the cyber world, where technology and people are no longer distinct, not separate. So we had the PC and we had a life. Today, our devices and sensors will become an extension of us. So much like how your iPhone is an extension of you. Maybe you have a watch, an iWatch. Well, that iWatch follows you wherever you go. It listens to everything that you say. It knows where you are at all times. So the fourth revolution has the same triggers as the third revolution, but it's cyber meets human this time. And it's not so much of just changing the devices that are around us or just the systems that are around us. It's about changing us. And all of that is part of everything because everything that is changing has to do with changing into something that is completely connected. So it's the same in businesses. Everything gets integrated, customized, and smart automated. The industrial revolution automates complex, complex tasks. It's the age of the internet of things and of cloud computing. So as I've tried to communicate to you in the past, when we look at the changes that are all taking place, this next fourth industrial revolution that you are undergoing right now. So while our past third industrial revolution that we just have been through, you could see the tablets, the iPhones, the wearables. Well, those are all visible. But increases in our capabilities are powered by technology that moves further out of sight. It becomes invisible. And innovation will come from the shift to the cloud, invisible processing power, storage, intelligence. And more innovation will come from what's happening inside and around the device versus the object that we can see. Artificial intelligence, powerful algorithms, cloud computing. An ecosystem of computing will surround us, become so natural, it will just about disappear in the background. It will become also 
completely intrusive. It will fit into more parts of our world and attempt to solve all of our problems without the slightest bit of our own human interaction. User interfaces, let's say, will become integrated, and we will control them with our voice, you know, our gaze, or our gestures. We will see the results, but not the effort. And so the irony is that it will control us more than we will control it. This is transhumanism. It will work seamlessly with itself, and we must learn to work within our new digital master that will need totality, a sort of digital totalitarianism, to operate properly. And as I've talked about before, this is the concept of a world brain, a brain that does our thinking for us and that is collective with all of the other brains in the world because we'll all have the same mind. And for all this insane totalitarian system to work, you need everybody on board. Now, by everyone, I mean every major pillar or control structure within our society. You will need all governments to participate, and that is why it was necessary to ensure that, no matter what, Donald Trump had to be removed from office. I mean, think about what Donald Trump did. We talked about it on yesterday's show, how Donald Trump came in and said, we're going to become energy independent. We're going to drive down the price of gas. There's no reason for it to be this high. It's because of policies. And it was. Not because of lack of product. There's plenty of that there. For years and years and years. So he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make America great again. Well, that goes against all the plans that have been put in motion starting way back. And I mean way back. It's to disrupt and dismantle America. And the first way that you can do that is by removing or making it completely inaccessible just because of price what America runs on, and that's oil and gas. So that is why they tried everything they could to remove Donald Trump from office prior to 2020. He was in the way. And at least there were a few people on staff that prevented folks like Steve Mnuchin, Mike Pence, Lindsey Graham, and others on his staff from literally throwing the nation into a burning garbage container. So you need the government. They have the government now. They have the top down. They have the White House. They have the House of Representatives. They have the Senate. And they also have the military. So they have the top down. The other thing you need, though, is you need to have the faith leaders. You need to have the faith leaders of every faith, not just the evangelical Christian ones, not just the Roman Catholics, every faith, even every affinity group who will support this insane concept of destroying nations, of destroying all systems. And as a matter of fact, you need those faith leaders to encourage their people, to encourage their flocks, to love thy neighbor by destroying thy economy, <laughs> by destroying your family's future. That's loving thy neighbor. And they will tell them that, of course, by destroying our economy, by punishing Putin, which is really punishing us, punishing our ability to continue to operate as a nation, that that is doing the right thing morally. It's the same game. 
But you know what also you need? Not just the top-down in governance. Not just the faith leaders that make people think that they're doing the right moral thing. But you also need the corporations of the world. You need the corporations of the world to get on board with all of this Malthusian treachery. And it is Malthusian, by the way. The monsters at the World Economic Forum and the royal family and the central banks have two primary solutions to solve the Malthusian dilemma. Number one, of course, to reduce consumption. That's what you're doing, sustainability. And to reduce the population. Anyway, I digress. Back to where I was. You need everyone on this mighty transformation into enviro-communo-fascism, into a circular economy, into a sustainability mode, and into the new systems. So you have the governments of the world, you have the faith leaders of the world, you have the central banks driving most of this with their desire to control currency, but you need the corporations, especially in this case of what we're talking about today, the oil and transportation corporations some of the largest corporations in the world. They have to be on board with this massive transformation. Now, for the most part, Americans rejected the idea that the likes of John Pierport Morgan or the Rockefellers should wield like tremendous influence over businesses, over society and the government. And we tend to prefer democratic to plutocratic rule, to have environmental and civil rights rules established through the democratic process rather than having them emerge from behind the closed doors of corporations. But the new woke capitalism is an affront to that complete American tradition. And given how close the BlackRock Corporation is to the incoming administration as well as into Davos, it is unlikely to meet with much resistance from the White House over the next few years. And I want to make sure that you remember this. One of the primary sources of where this is coming from is from Larry, Fink, and BlackRock. They're coming for your gas tank. Or better stated, they want to eliminate your gas tank. Because BlackRock is a control mechanism that is dressed in costume as an environmental zealot who wants to eliminate the fossil fuels that have powered prosperity in the United States and are now using infiltration tactics into those corporations, into those oil giants like Exxon, and telling them that they must get away from oil and gas and embrace alternative energy. I'm not kidding. This is what they're doing. So in a historic move, Larry Fink's BlackRock played a major role in installing two climate change activists onto ExxonMobil's board of directors. And in taking two seats on Exxon's board, they're trying to move Exxon out of the fossil fuel petroleum industry and into renewable energy. Now, if you're a shareholder, you should be thinking about that. But think about this. As I said recently, BlackRock's power move is to change, as well, the automotive industry forever. If you recall, you will own nothing and you will be happy. But BlackRock wants to get rid of your car ownership and also the independent way that we move about with freedom, the way that we travel, the way that we go from one place to another, or even the ability to go from one place to another. 
So what better way to enforce entryism once again through sky-high gas prices? And that is what is coming. Well, heck, it's already here. But it's going to get a lot worse. But they will want you to feel virtuous about paying $8 for gas. But you will stop traveling as much. Everything that you buy is going to go up in price. It's going to be quite unaffordable to live in the future. This is what is coming. So they will create another phony moral dilemma that we talked about yesterday, just like they did between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And what they will do is they'll create a fake moral dilemma between those that are either on electric or that go to electric cars or go to ride share with electric cars against those that choose to stay on gas-powered automobiles and oil-based transportation. And they will punish them as well through ESG. And what they will say is, we can get to lower prices, stop inflation, and heal our planet if you would just go with electric cars or with electric rideshare. Now, understand this. There were calls a few days ago for Elon Musk to disable the Teslas that are in Russia. And you might be thinking, how can he do that? Tesla can. Those are fully electric cars. And Elon Musk could stop it at any time, but he didn't. But don't you think that's the control and power that those that seek to be lords over us want? You can't do that necessarily with gasoline-powered cars. Some you can, but not the vast majority. But on top of that, and what I just said, keep that in mind. Remember what Pete Buttigieg just pulled out a few weeks ago. Believe me, the timing was purposeful. So on January 27th, this is just about a month and a half ago, Secretary of State Pete Buttigieg introduced the Biden administration's plan to, quote, combat the danger posed by rising traffic fatalities, end quote. And he went on to say this. This is Pete Buttigieg, the Gramscian Marxist, or Secretary of Transportation. I think I said Secretary of State before, Secretary of Transportation. But he said this in the Biden administration's plan to combat the posed rising traffic fatalities. He says, quote, we cannot tolerate the continuing crisis of roadway deaths in America. These deaths are preventable. And that's why we're launching the National Roadway Safety Strategy today, a bold, comprehensive plan with significant new funding from President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law. We will work with every level of government and industry to deliver results because every driver, passenger, and pedestrian should be certain that they're going to arrive at their destination safely every time. End quote. So what Secretary Buttigieg was referring to is a great reset of personal automobile transportation in the United States. And he is using, once again, public health as the guiding force to override our way of life and our freedom of movement. It is the same, this is a crisis and we must act now. It's the same game 
that was used in COVID. It was the same game that was used with the incident with George Floyd. It is now being used in the horrible conflict with Russia and Ukraine. So now think of Russia as COVID and Ukraine as George Floyd. But the aims and goals with both of those two precipitating events was not the health, safety, and vitality of the people of the United States. It was not the ensuring of equal treatment of all people under the law or the equal opportunities of every person regardless of their ethnicity. Their goals were something else. Crush the economy. Destroy people's livelihoods. Make people dependent on government. Restrict people's movements. Restrict travel. Digitize all communications if possible. Keep people from meeting with one another and talking. Infuse race Marxism into every facet of our life. Instead of class consciousness, like is the case with the old-fashioned Marxism, do all of your destruction in society with race consciousness in neo-Marxism. And come down hard on people. After a year, demand that everybody return to office, but demand that they must be vaccinated. And there you go with entryism. And now the same thing is going to happen with oil and gas. The average lower middle income person is soon not going to be able to afford to drive themselves anywhere. Heck, they aren't going to be able to find a new car or afford a used car. So the average person is going to have to find a new way to get around because they just can't afford to travel around town anymore. They can't even afford to go long distances anymore. And it is BlackRock to the rescue. You see, BlackRock developed FaceDrive to eliminate car ownership and Uber. They said that Uber was creating too much pollution because they weren't fully electric. And as was said in the Yahoo Finance article that I read last year on our show, it said this, quote, FaceDrive, a tech-driven, multi-vertical, next-gen company with an ESG-focused portfolio that just pulled off a major coup with the acquisition of Washington, D.C.-based Steer, a high-end EV subscription service that plans to get even more electric vehicles on the road and even to upend the way that we think about car ownership altogether. And this isn't the only vertical that ties FaceDrive into a multi-billion dollar industry. It's tied to the five trillion global transportation industry, the nine trillion dollar healthcare industry, the $850 billion airline industry, the $600 billion major league sports industry, and the $26 billion food delivery segment. From the world's first carbon offset ride-sharing platform to an electric vehicle subscription service, FaceDrive from BlackRock is rethinking the entire concept of car ownership. And ESG investors are loving it. The article goes on. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink says that, quote, awareness is rapidly changing, and I believe we are on the edge of a fundamental reshaping of our finance. Now, mind you, that's a multi-trillion dollar reshaping of finance. And that is exactly where FaceDrive steps to the plate and where giants like Uber and Lyft are going to fail now. 
because Uber and Lyft disrupted the 100-year-old taxi dynasty completely, but they ignored the growing sustainability trend. In BlackRock's eyes, or at least the way they want you to look at it, they created more pollution than they displaced. And in terms of governance, they spent most of their time butting heads with local authorities and their own drivers. Face Drive from BlackRock saw the gaps and created a roadmap for the ride-hailing future. It was the first to offer riders a choice of electric vehicles and hybrids, and the first to plant trees to offset its carbon footprint. It's the first carbon offset offering in this whole space. But that was only the beginning. You see, when you combine the $5 trillion global transportation industry with an energy industry whose renewable sector is growing dramatically, you get one of the most lucrative marriages of industry yet. So now, once again, in the BlackRock universe, Face Drive's steer, backed again by another BlackRock subsidiary, Exelon, is planning the biggest disruption the private automobile industry has seen in decades. In its plan to disrupt the auto industry, Steer offers a seamless, hassle-free technology that gives subscribers access to their virtual garage of low-emissions vehicles and electric vehicles. That's what they're doing. Larry Fink and BlackRock want to disrupt the automobile industry. They want to end our way of life independently. They want to end our volitional ability to go from point A to point B. They want to disrupt and dismantle the oil and gas industry. Disrupt everything to do with the transportation industry. And tell you how you're going to live your life. BlackRock is making decisions on how you're going to live the rest of your life. Now, please remember, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink is on the controlling council of the World Economic Forum. He's also very powerful within the White House. BlackRock, as a matter of fact, has some key positions in the White House. Brian Deese, a former BlackRock investment executive, serves on the National Economic Council. Adewale Ademio, now I might be mispronouncing that one, the former chief of staff of BlackRock's chief executive, is the top official at the Treasury Department. Formerly the global chief investment strategist of BlackRock, Michael Pyle is now the chief economic advisor to Vice President Harris. Now, understand that this BlackRock pipeline flows in both directions in both D.C. and in Davos. BlackRock has hired several policymakers and regulators who served in past presidential administrations. For example, Dahlia Blast was an official with the SEC and now leads external affairs at BlackRock. Thomas Donilon was a national security advisor to President Obama and is currently chairman of BlackRock's research business. So BlackRock is pushing its left-wing climate change agenda in high-level meetings, voting against non-compliant corporate boards that it serves on, and letting laggards know that they're on watch. And in BlackRock CEO Larry Fink's report in 2021, he stated the following, quote, In 2020, we identified 244 companies that were making insufficient progress integrating climate risk into their business models or disclosures. 
Of these companies, we took voting action against 53 or 22%. We have to put the remaining 191 companies on watch. That those that do not make significant progress risk voting action against management in 2021. This year, though, we had more than 1,200 engagements with companies on environmental topics, including climate risk, nearly four times the number in the previous year. These engagements span topics including board oversight of climate risk management, adaption strategies for the transition to a low-carbon economy, climate-related disclosure frameworks, environmental impact management, and operational sustainability, wastewater, energy use and efficiency, packaging, product lifecycle management, supply chain-related environmental impacts, and deforestation risks. End quote. So there is a massive shift going on in D.C., in Davos, in the corporate world, in oil and gas industries, in the automotive industry, and in the shipping industry and cruise industry. They know that they are being forced into a change as well. And BlackRock and Vanguard have huge controlling stakes at all the major cruise lines, except a few. But they're pushing everyone out of oil and gas and into renewables and sustainable energy which will result in the economic disrupting and dismantling of the United States. And China and the Belt Road Initiative nations will rise. Heck, Russia will rise. I don't know if you knew it, but Russia is part of the Belt Road Initiative as well. And Russia, China, and the nations in Africa, the Middle East, and South America that are part of the Belt and Road Initiative will use oil, gas, and nuclear. And the United States, and a good part of Europe, will not. And why is this? Justice. Global social justice. And more on this in episode two of The Great Reset of Energy coming up on Monday. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic.